Hey, my name is Michael Rosso, and you're listening to the Film Photography Podcast. Yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Michael's having Take a moment. Time. We got uh, nothing but time. Uh, got nothing but time. We got nothing but time. Time, time, time. Where does it go? Time, time, time. People waiting. Waiting. Like, right, man? People waiting for it. It's all in the past now. Uh, I'm here with Leslie Lazenby. Hello, everyone. Mark O'Brien. Hey there. Superstar Mark Dalzell. Hey man, you're losing your audience. When the new episodes coming out, uh, big think. Great big, oh. really huge think. <laughs> I don't know. I, I get the call and I go. That's... But I saw you in the Togo. Is that aired? Togo, that was a good one. That, oh, that aired already. Yeah, that one's already. Have you seen that? I have seen it. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, and, the Terry Florio. Yes, I have. And Matt Mirage. Oh, hey guys. Do you know you were missing those episodes? Do Do you know about him being in the big? Yeah, I know about the big think. I haven't seen the Togo one though. Is it what's it called? Big idea. Great oh, great big story! You've, yeah. Have you seen? It's very famous. Yeah. The Togo one is nothing. Okay. Now they're producing these all the time. What's up with your producer? Is he they re, re, give him a new assignment or? Well, he's got many stories he works on. He's constantly traveling the world. My mic's not even up. I'm number four. Uh, there you go. Hey, Mark. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mark D. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Why was my mic even down? Hey, Mark O'Brien. Oh, Let's start hey again. there, everybody. Start oh. again. Okay, I'll start again. God. Hey, my name is Michael Rosso, and you're listening to the Film Photography Podcast. Yeah. It's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Michael's having Take a moment. Time. We got uh, nothing but time. Uh, got nothing but time. Time is a tool you can put on the wall wear it on your wrist. The past is far behind us. The future doesn't exist. Right, man? People waiting for... It's all in the past now. Here with Leslie Lazenby. Hello, everyone. Mark O'Brien. Hey there. Superstar Mark Dalzell. And Matt Mirage. Oh, hey, guys. Going so fast like a merry-go-round. Hey! <laughs> Welcome back to the show. You know what I love about this show? Being with you guys. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about the people at home. <laughs> Great. You and the people at home to do the show. Oh, oh my God! Leslie's mic's down too. Why were they all down? That's what I'm saying. Just start the whole show again. Okay. Hey, my name is Michael Rosso, and you're listening to the Film Photography Podcast. Yeah. It's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you, Mark. Michael's having Take a moment. Time. We got uh, nothing but uh, time. Got nothing but time. What the hell? We got nothing but time. Time, time, time. Where does it go? Time, time, time. People waiting. 
right? Huh? People waiting for it. It's all in the past now. Uh, I'm here with Leslie Lazenby. Hello, everyone. Mark O'Brien. Hey there. Superstar Mark Dalzell. And Matt Mirage. Oh, hey, guys. This is a DIY show. Yeah, I see that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm experiencing it. Off the air, Matt. Done. See you later. Canceled. We have a lot of exciting film photography topics to discuss today. You're going to introduce us? I was going to say, oh. do you want to do, yeah, yeah, well, reintroduce no, we did that since already. everybody was down, the but mics no one, were down. No one, their mics were down. Hey, my name is Michael Rasso. Matt, you writing term paper? <laughs> oh, sorry, no. Somebody just posted a shitload of 8x10 film at a really good price, and I'm buying it all. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Get the fuck out. No, <laughs> no it's, it's, uh, eight, it's 8x10 T-Max at, 40 bucks, at $4 a sheet. I'm buying all of it. Oh. Michael, you have my full attention. Leslie Lazenby is here. Hello, everyone. Mark O'Brien. Hey there. Mark Dalzell. Hello. Matt Marash. Got the film sweats. <laughs> and my name is Michael Rosso. Let's open up with a letter. Not like you're for Delhi. So when we do our drive time shows, I, I give <laughs> Whoa. I hand a letter to, to John just to pass to Mark. And then John holds on to it. And then he starts complaining. Like, oh I need I need it. I'm like, it's not for you. I need to rehearse. And, yeah, he needs to rehearse. I'm like, just read it. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, can you just read it? Can you read it, Mark? Yeah, let me just go through it a couple times first. Okay. <laughs> Looks There's big. some bigger words in here. No. Hi, Michael. Thanks for the info. I guess you sent him some info. I'll drop these with Mark when I get the chance. I guess someone's dropping something with me when they get the chance. By the way, love the show. What show? And the store. You guys got me back into developing my own black and white eggs again. Yes. And I Sweet. recently taught my 16-year-old son the process. Yes. He's... Quote, borrowed my Pentax K1000 and is learning how to shoot, quote, real photos. Keep up the great work and give the FPP gang my warm regards, Fred. Terrific. Back at you, Fred. Terrific. Stelling, I guess. Terrific. Thanks, Fred. Uh, I do get emails from people. Like, hey, can I drop off stuff for the donation program? Mark D. has a storefront in Jersey City called Metropolis Music. And you could just skid on in there and just walk into an actual storefront and hand it to a person. Sure. So in our first segment, we're going to be talking about something that comes up occasionally on the web. I'm looking at Matt, even though oh, Mark hey. O. They're called zines. Oh, yeah. They're, those are they're, they're pretty hot. popular. And zines are always popular in rock culture and things like that for these limited production um, things that and of course back in the, fans, in the sixties and seventies and eighties, they were cut and paste right. rock punk magazines. Oh, yes, they yeah. did, did they? They didn't call them zines at that. Yeah, point, they did. did yeah, they, they were fanzines. Really? Yeah. That's what they called them. Fanzines. Okay. So take it away, Mark. Mark O. Yeah. So many years ago, I wasn't doing zines, but I was editor of various newsletters. And and back in the day when we actually pasted everything up and did camera ready copy. To then it became stuff you did on the computer and just printed out in your laser printer and all that. So oh. I'm familiar with how to produce things and, and make make uh, a magazine or a brochure and all that. Did someone mail that to us? 
Yes. So, so that just came in. That just came in. Yeah. So that's part of the co- topic yeah. as well. Nice. That, that yeah. was in the stack of letters. Oh, very nice. So I opened so, it. And- so over the past few years, I've been I've seen a few zine, photographic zines come up occasionally, and I. I've purchased a few. One of the things we talk about in photography is a tangible product and how it differs from the the digital onslaught of everything being online and on your phone and so forth. And if you're a photographer, it's nice to have a tangible object to give to people and say, this is the kind of stuff I do. So zines, because they tend to be um, smaller, let's say, than a book, Mm-hmm. Um, or, or a monograph um, they're usually um, I won't say they're of lower quality because today we have all these really nice production facilities that we don't have to invest in a company can print it out for us it can be really pretty well done and, and with all the with all the uh, materials that are available to us at, at outlets of now whether it's blurb or you know any number of places that will do these things or you can do it yourself you've got a le- color laser copier or whatever you can do all these things on your own what it does show it also shows there's a lot of talented people out there with good photographers they can tell good stories and yet we no longer have the kinds of photographic channels where that stuff becomes available to the general populace let's say if you can't even keep a a popular photography uh, magazine going because of the of the internet and the price of advertisement and all that um, you're not going to have a general forum for photographers so people have to do self-publishing and you can do it various ways you can do like i said again with blurb or you can go through um, other third-party places or you can do it yourself and do the do the production and zines are instead of being a large monograph zines can be short they're less than 30 pages or so and they can be very specialized. They can be, and they can be really amazingly well done. I brought a few uh, various zines today with me, um, and then of course a few just came in. I'll talk about the first one. It's not so much a zine; it's a large magazine. Oh, it's called, it's called She Shoots Film. Oh, that was and it's excellent. Women, and it's uh, women photographers. It's all everything shot on film, and it's a lot of this has been underwritten by Blue Moon Camera. Um, they've got um, up at their store. They've got some of these things on exhibit. She shoots film is just a fantastic uh, magazine. The text, images are really professionally done. I mean, it's just it's wonderful. It looks. It reminds me of an issue of Aperture magazine actually, and it's in its quality of production. Um, this issue was volume number two. It's about mother, and so it's the it's whether the photographer's a mother. The mother's photographer, um, all the issues that have to do with motherhood and, and, and being a photographer. It's really a fantastic piece of work, and I, w- I look forward to buying more of these. And you can, you can find them online, available, and I forget where I bought this one. I, I guess I must have. Oh, I know. I think Mike Padua had it in his store um, and was selling some, so I, I got it from him. I'll pass this around, it's a, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's about the size of a, an Aperture magazine. So I would call that a high-end zine of, any, of, of a sort. And then another one I, I recently purchased is, is um, from a photographer. His first name's Eric. I don't know his last Did name. Did this person mail this to FPP? No, this is one I bought. Oh. The other ones were mailed to FPP, and I'll talk about those. Okay, in a second. very good. This guy's on uh, Instagram and Flickr, Conspiracy of Cartographers. This zine was only $9, which I found amazing. He sells it on his Etsy store. And he shot all these in 4x5 on a trip to the, sort of the Midwest and Southwest of the United States. 
Um, Eric's from the Pacific Northwest. It's on really nice stock. Um, the photos are all black and white, and it's white text on a black Ooh. background. This, and he tells you what film he used okay. um, and uh, where, they, where the images were taken. There's stuff shot in here, an Arista Ortho, Lithofilm, Kodak Royal Pan. Some of these were, and he specializes in using expired film stocks and unusual unusual things, um, although some are like FP4 Plus and so forth. What I like about the Conspiracy of Photographers is the July issue. He visits places that are, on the surface, don't look remarkable. Some of them are remarkable with the photographs, but you would wonder why would you stop here and photograph this valley or whatever. It turns out some of these places are sites of Indian massacres or Indians that were massacred by white settlers or U.S. troops or whatever back in the day and the history of these areas. And it's really, sometimes it's rather somber, but it's a very thoughtful piece of work. I have to say, if you had a gallery show for something like this, it might not be a, a great venue because people don't necessarily want to stop and read everything. But when you can hold something like this in your hand and read it, and sit down and digest what, he, what, what he's talking about and look at the images, it really is a, a much more profound experience, in, in my view. So I'll pass this around. What I liked about it was it, it's the, the size. It's only about um, 6 by 8 inches, something like that, and uh, 6 by 9 inches. But it's really well done, and it was like $9. And that's it's a pretty small price, and he's pri- he says he, purposely he wants to price this thing so people will buy them. Is it nine ten dollars? What's that? Nine ten dollars. He's all over Instagram. Whenever I post a picture on Instagram, he is usually one of the very first people to like all of my pictures. Oh yeah, yeah. And and what's that gentleman's name? It's on the cover there. Conspiracy of Cartographers. And his his first name is Eric. And so while while we today we're going through things um, in the FPP, um, we received a couple other zines in the mail. Um, This one is from Zach Storer from Mike Rasso and FPP Gang, The Land and City. Uh, by Zach Store, and I haven't even looked at this yet, but I'm open and I'm I'm leafing through it. It's um, color photographs. It looks it's like live. it looks like uh, yeah, opening up live, and nothing is captioned, which I I find a little unsettling because I'd like to know where things are. On the other hand, the images themselves are gorgeous. Um, but I like that, that no but I, I do like to I do like to see um, some captions and. Tell me a little bit about the images themselves. Um, it says, FPP gang, this book wouldn't exist without you guys. Your podcast and rare, fun, and affordable films kept me going so much of the time. It's only right I send you guys a copy of this long overdue book. Thanks for all the laughs, advice, and fun. Zach. Zach Store. Instagram is UPS underscore syndrome. I tell you, this Instagram, do you enjoy the Instagram? Oh, I do. I, I put a lot of stuff up there. I don't put as much of my film images up there as some people do because I have to go. If I could do it from my computer, I'd be happy. I could really pile stuff up there. But I, on my phone, I have to go into Flickr, copy it from Flickr to Instagram, and post it. And it's a kind of a pain in the butt. What, what, this, is, this is Zach. Oh, I do follow? What's Zach's Instagram? You, ups. UPS underscore syndrome. So it's really I love the I love the images. You know, it's it's like a travel log kind of thing. But I also would like to know a little bit more about the some captioning, or at least have an addendum in the back on what pages things are on, and tell me a little bit about the stuff. But I do like it. It's uh it's it's really well done. And then another zine we got just arrived today, a new zine from. Chris Smith Photography in Minneapolis. His uh, website is www.darkroomdream.com. 
And this one is called The Enchanted Hunter, 2018, Chris Smith. And I see it's a bunch of interesting uh, images with models and deer antlers. And <clears throat> What's this one called? in here. And, uh, Wait, what? what? What's, this one? What's this one called? <laughs> the Enchanted Hunter. And th- that one is also? Yes. Okay. And uh, <laughs> the, the beauty of zines is that you can present your work in a format that is easily accessible by people. Um, they're not. It should be a huge cash outlay for a copy of a zine, and uh, you can make them any damn topic you want in photography or or, or arena. You're you're going to. It's one way of getting your work out there for people to look at. Uh, it's not. It's a, a physical, tangible object. My my advice is if you want to curate your work and go through a, some topics and and bring them together in a cohesive way. A zine is a really good way of forcing you to say, I've got maybe 20 images I want to put together and add some text and so forth and uh, formatting, and you've got a zine, and there you go. People can uh, decide if they like your work or not. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. really like the, the zine format. There's def, uh, What you've kind of shown here, though, is the, the range that yes. zines kind of uh, make up. They kind of go everywhere from like collated xeroxes all the way up to something that's really like better than a magazine presented yeah and it's it's a medium that is still very much being explored because you can have lighter uh lighter editionings different kind of boutique printings you can have a handmade aspect to it so some folks are also having zines be like the 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 feeler for a, a small set of work, but then they'll also put in an original piece with it. Right? There's, yeah, there's so much you can do with it, and I think zines are are definitely going to be the way to go. Outside of these really heavily sponsored, I mean, the the days of the the major photo magazines are very much kind of done if you open up one of those general camera enthusiast magazines they're 60 percent advertising right. even on the main pages the main articles those are even all sponsored now so this is kind of a either a complete removal of that commercial aspect or a very very modest use of it i think the other thing is it's a direct connection between you and the viewers yeah there are obviously there's black and white photography there are other things but you are competing with so many people to get your work out there. They're only going to choose what they find that will be saleable. If you're doing your own zine, you have to edit yourself. But uh, as a bit of advice, though, to people, you are off. The photographer is not often the best curator of their work. Sometimes you need someone else to look over stuff and say, you know, I, these images fit together well, these don't, and maybe they should not include those. So I, I think that if you have some people that you like to work with, you can have a collaborative effort for a zine. It doesn't have to be one person. It may improve the product quite, quite a bit. But general, in general, my feeling is, hey, if you've got stuff to show the world, a zine is a good way to do it. And whether you do it in the handmade method or you go through another third party online and produce it, like, I don't know, I guess Shutterfly could do a zine if you wanted it to, but I wouldn't suggest it. There are other avenues for that. You can find them online with a quick Google search. A lot of those have the uh, zine printer in the back on the back page. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Give it a whirl. Um, Certainly, if you, there are zines available online, look, look, and it's a way to find out what your, what photographers are doing and, and seeing uh, what's out there and maybe get inspiration for doing some work of your own and produce your own zine. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. When we come back, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking to Leslie about... Roll the dice. 
Leslie. About? Light piping. Ooh, hot topic. Yeah. We'll be back. This morning, for less than £22, this man bought a movie camera, the incredible new Kodak Instamatic. This afternoon, he is an expert. <laughs> what fun it is. They're delighted with the ease of its loading. She takes out a film cartridge, puts in another. It could hardly be simpler. He presses a button and shoots. This is his reward. And so is this. This summer, it could easily be yours. Hey, we're back. I received many emails, which I almost immediately pass right along to Leslie Lazenby. No, I'll take <clears> it from there. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> About dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I said, this is almost a doctor's in segment, because here's what we get. Hey, <laughs> got some unexplained fogging or edge exposure on my film. Mike, <laughs> got some of that special film you sell? Some of it's bad. <laughs> you have a light leak in your bulk loader? Yep. You got a bad master roll? Yep. You got no, bad don't. cassettes? Are they okay? All suck. Yeah. I got five rules. Some have it, some don't. It's not my camera. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so first thing we do is we ask you to send us an image, cell phone shot, of the strip of negatives. And I can usually tell from that strip of negatives, whether it's a camera light leak, a darkroom problem, or light piping. And many times, it's light piping, a.k.a. edge fog or edge flare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to talk about your flare. Really? What is it? Well, it's unwanted light exposure along the edge of a strip of film. It's most common at the beginning, but if you bulk load your film yourself, it's possible it could be at the uh, end of the roll. You'll notice sprocket hole shapes repeated along the edge of the roll, and then they'll gradually let up and go away, as well as fogging and some pretty black exposure. Anytime, uh, number one, a loading tail is left out on a cassette, of uh, loaded a cassette loaded with film, there's the potential to get exposure through there. This is especially true of some of our thin-based polyester films, and it's not ne- not necessarily because they're thin; it's because they're made of polyester or mylar, which is a brand name of polyester, because polyester acts like fiber optics. It transports unfocused light and just spreads it on. So that's why we have backings, anti-halation backing, and also dyes in our film itself is to keep this from bouncing around and happening. That dense gray base that you see, it's doing that's the job it's doing, keeping it from bouncing back. Light piping factors, as I say it, that increase the chances of seeing this are the base density. If it is a thinner film, it is probably made of polyester. And as I mentioned, that is just a transporter of light, fiber optics. And it's cumulative. Mm. 
cumulative. It transports a little bit of light and it just keeps grabbing that tiny bit of light and it just keeps transporting that tiny bit of light and it just keeps going. And I also said emulsion type and that's not not necessarily, you know, silver is your light receiver, but it doesn't send it on or transmit it on. There are different kind of anti-halation backings. Some films do not have any anti-halation backing at all. One notable one from years ago was Kodak HIE, or High Speed Infrared. And if you would read the box, on the outside of the box, it would say handle, load, unload in total darkness. Amazing. Not in shade, but in total darkness. Yep. And if you would actually look at that tail that you snipped off in the dark when you turn the lights on, it was like light green and glowy, <clears throat> had a little bit of a transparency to it. So you'll notice that some of our FPP films, our specialty films, <clears throat> in their original life were not made to be cut up and put into cassettes and used in small strips. They would have been exposed at the beginning of the roll as it was threaded into some type of a machine. Those films can even be rather transparent. One of our new Derev films, my favorite, which is uh, the Jaeger. Derev 400. Derev 400. <laughs> almost transparent. Mm. And as I have it out, it'll get darker. When you say it's almost transparent, what do you mean? I mean, I can see through it. You see? Now, this has been out a little bit, so it's starting to collect light. But Translucent. Check it out. What do you think of this stock? Paper thin. Waffer thin. It's only a waffer thin. Polyester is very strong, number one. It um, was probably made to move through a camera quickly it won't tear it was made to be used in bulk so that keeps the film lighter weight like i said it wasn't meant to be cut up in small pieces it was meant to be used on a more <clears throat> from a master so point this is deal. light light pipe city that's light pipe city for real like let's say you have a cartridge out sitting hold on okay i got it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> also i have a tendency because i buy some of this film uh, the Shvima 200 is a thin one that light pipes. These were not made to go into 35 millimeter cameras as we know them. So they don't have those backings on them. So you have to be careful. And sometimes when I load these rolls, I've got a specific little job or something, and I might roll a 10 exposure roll. It's not making it very tight inside of that cassette. I did a test. I took my beloved and expensive, you guys are worth it, Shvima 200, and I loaded three cassettes. I loaded them in my home at night with one room light on, all from the same bulk loader into the same three previously used cassettes. And then I put one into total darkness for 10 days. Black can, black lid, total darkness, 10 days. I put one into a translucent outer can. Oh, interesting. And I left it either between my living room or my bedroom. It didn't matter. I don't have windows open during the day in there. So at night, it's usually either the television or one lamp lit for sometimes hours, sometimes not. So it had some exposure, but it had it for 10 days. The third one, God bless its little soul, I never put into uh, a plastic can at all. And I just took it everywhere. It went to lunch with me. And it would fly around in my purse. It'd go around in my camera bag. I'd throw it on the seat on the car. The results then, I waited about 10 days, processed them all. One, right, two in the tank at one time, and one followed. Everything between the three was as 
absolutely as consistent as possible. The black can, clean. The tail where it was attached, Ooh. clean. There is no light piping on that. Nothing. You've got right. the other Pipe tail, on. though, that was sticking Wait. out of no, the cassette hard. so that I could use it. Nothing. The one that had <clears throat> minimal exposure, very, very, very light exposure, for 10 days with the tail out has got... A significant oh. amount of fog at the beginning, and that. it has those repeated edge marks. Oh. But now at the end where I loaded it in, just there's the part that was out that I attached, put the lid shut. You can see, though, it went quite away, and it's not a... This where the piping is, this is closest to the entrance where the This is This would have the been tongue. the entrance right here. The tongue is right here. Oh, that's and interesting. And the rest of that piped back. And this was in a clear canister. Yeah, a uh, Transparent. Trans- the translucent one. The translucent. milky. We'll call the milky, it milky one. Mm-hmm. And how was this, exp- like, where was it exposed? It was either in my living room or my uh, bedroom, which I have no open windows during the day. My windows are all closed. They always wow. are. Just ambient light. Extremely low ambient light. Remarkable. And then the one that rode around with me. Oh, my gosh. Wow. No it, can. No can. Lunch, car, purse, camera bag. Saw it all. It is like saw it all. All all on its own. (laughs) I am shooting. And the thing is, this even this one where there was minimal. You think the the light traps on my camera are just fine, but if the light traps in your or the light seals in your camera are even weak and a little bit skidding in, that other films will not even see at all. But you set that camera down and maybe not shoot it for a couple days or a week or two or three. Maybe it's just sitting in your house. How how would it pipe into a camera? Through the door. Through like a little crack in the in the door. Sure, mm-hmm. but but if your seals are weak, oh, it's yes. going to get through. And if you don't move the film, <clears throat> it's going to build up and oh, build right. up because it's cumulative. A lot of times you get a you get five rolls of film and you put one in, and the others just might sit on a shelf. This is a this is a quite a report, Leslie. This is it was quite it's this it's eye opening. That third one, I had, I would have no idea. I'm, it's just I currently have like thirty rolls of film laying on my kitchen counter. I always have I always have a handful of them on my desk, you know, because typically we don't have to worry about it because a film, a traditional like a Tri-X or an Ilford or anything has those backings on it and those dies so that this doesn't happen. But these films were not made to be cut and handled this way. They're beautiful films and we should be shooting them, but we have to be a little bit more protective of them once we get them. So black canisters would be the the big thing that... Or ju- just keep them from light, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, in a bag, in, the, in, the in your came in your camera bag. Um, Interesting. It's it's pretty easy to happen, but I tell you, you guys know how I love that Schwema two hundred film. Oh yes. And personally, I think it's more than worth it to take care of it. If you bulk load this stuff yourself, maybe it might be best not to bulk load the whole thing up. Mm. Bulk load as you need it. So it doesn't uh, stick around, float around. But that's that's light piping. And um, it'll drive you nuts. It can make you mad. And uh, another (laughs) point I wanted to make is when you do buy these films from FPP, don't be stingy when you load them. Load them. Don't be afraid that you think you have to start right at number one to get 24 exposures. Mike gives you extra exposures. So you go in a frame or two and start on two or three or whatever. You're going to get your full 24 Mm. frames. And that's... uh, Put it in your pipe and smoke it or vape it or whatever you happen to do today. (laughs) 
Thank That's you, Leslie. Caving. You're welcome. So I should be putting a notice on the FPP site for all the thin-based films. You should be selling black canisters. Or just send a link to the piping. This this bit. Uh, yeah. I could. Can I scan these and can we convert this into a blog? I think this is important. That's a good. Blog. That's a good blog. Thing. Absolutely. I'll. You can scan them and I'll send you the text. It can at times obviously happen very easily. I I can be very sloppy about my film. Take it out and let it ride in the car with me. Yeah, you, you don't know? think about these things. You don't. You don't think about them because we typically haven't had to but like i said for me it's quite worth thinking about and well, something like this happens i just assume i screwed up the developing or my camera has a leak or something it doesn't occur to me that mm-hmm. so right. that's just the way it goes you, so is this based off of a letter we received and what was the conclusion of that letter it's sort of like there's no actual wrong the wrongdoing could have happened in so many different possible scenarios absolutely it's impossible to say well i can tell you where it didn't happen <laughs> And and and, <laughs> and that's how sometimes we do. Di- and sad- yeah. sometimes that's what all we have is we can tell you where it didn't happen. Well, first of all, so, you know, to be fair, not to us, but every letter we get, the blame gets pointed at that we have a light leak, like in our bulk loader in our dark room. And I can tell you right now, no, no, we would have found out. I find it's a whole batch. I know it's a whole batch. Yeah. Those. Those letters and cards and letters would have been coming in like crazy. Like yeah. Santa Claus letters. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I can just see someone having their film sitting out there on outside their camera bag or wherever and just sitting there and doing a little light piping, that, just not realizing that that's what's happening. Yep. Especially students. They're like, oh, this is yeah. subdued light, and like the right. sun's just like right there. <laughs> no, and I've seen the, the effects of... of not loading your film in darkness for like the HIE and stuff. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. And and of course the color IR is the same thing. And mm-hmm. I've seen there where I've had light piping go in along the, the, the rebate areas. Uh, and Mike asked where this come from, and we've had a couple people come in and say, "Here's my problem," and I can actually if they. Lay out a couple frames of film. I can print it out, cut them out, roll them up, and you can see right where one sprocket hole let oh, light yeah. through onto the other. Line them up, and I can almost tell you that this happened because you left the can out, or this <clears throat> happened because it was wound. It happened in your camera, and you've got a weak seal in there because they know how tight it was rolled together. Yeah, kind of interesting, but I, f- I feel like I have a Professor Jeff saying for everything, but for this one, yes. His his piece of wisdom for it, because he always talked about when he would F up sheets when he was working for his professor. Oh, yeah, in Kentucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you can see shape, so in the dark, if you can see shape, that film can see can see that light. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and, dark, and, and, as, and as I noted, this is so cumulative. Mm-hmm. It just gets that dang light and just keeps grabbing for it. So you think a little's okay, and it, but it just keeps at it. So something to watch out for. Thank you very much, Leslie. You're welcome. Next up, Matt Marash is going to talk about oh. the Leica Mini Lux. This little guy. A poor man's contacts? <laughs> a question mark? Question mark? Yeah. Well, point and shoots, because of social media, especially the Instagram effect and celebrities and, and all that stuff, getting into film, you know, film cameras are cool now. The, we have what's called the contacts effect. The Contax T2, T3, those poor cameras, they used to be just high-end point-and-shoots that photographers knew about. And then, I don't know, who, who was, it a, was it a singer? 
who, who did it first? Was it a singer first or a Kardashian first? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Regard, the contacts cameras are now an obscene price for... Yeah, was Kylie Jenner I don't, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. I don't even have the Instagrams. I'm so old. The young one. The young one. But one of them had it, and now everybody has it or wants to have it. You know, the contacts care. They're great. I will not, I will not fight that. They're, they're Zeiss lenses. They're compact. They're fi- fixed lens. They do some cool stuff. But um, I think one that hasn't – it's kind of stayed pretty steady despite this kind of con- – so like uh, last, ep- last show – Leslie talked about that Yashica T4 that has also seen a little bit of the contacts bump from that. But a lot of high-end compacts, you, you just can't pick up a good, really nice coated, fast, compact autofocus 35 for under like a thousand bucks anymore. Um, one that has scooted a little bit under the radar is this Leica Mini Lux. Now, there, uh, Leslie a few shows ago had talked about the Mini Lux Zoom, and that one's great. That one's far easier to get and at a little bit less price. But they also made a, uh, a Japanese-made Mini Lux with the fixed lens. So this has a, a Sumerit 40mm f2.4. This camera, just like all the other contacts-type cameras, this is a best-of-the-90s camera. So yeah. this is from 95. Really nice, fast lens. It's not tack-sharp corner-to-corner like you're going to get out of the contacts that, uh, <laughs> that have the 2.8 Zeiss glass. This is 2.4, so it's it's a smidge faster. Uh, I haven't really noticed the difference for that. It's, it's pretty decently hand-holdable with 400-speed film in it, but it is kind of soft at the edges. It's a little bit – has some vignette at the edges to it. Um, but it has a really nice signature look. Focus is pretty close, down to less than a foot. DX coded. This will do 50 to fifty to 3200, which is pretty great. Uh, max shutter speed is not as good as the Yashikas and the Contacts, so I believe it's one second to one five hundred. Let me just double... I have my sheet pulled up here. So far, I've shot it with some uh, Kodak Portra and some of the, uh, some of the FPP... Uh, 200 and 400 black and white emulsions. I've really been liking those lately. And why is my computer frozen? We have a uh, Windows what on there? 10? 10. Okay. Who's here uh, using XP? Yeah. <laughs> Bueller? 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 XP? XP? No. Bueller? I wish I still could on yeah. the store. I have seven at my store. Okay. Oh, hold on. Hold on to that seven for as long as possible. It's that classic champagne. But is this hot or not? It's, well... It, it's always Leica's always a certain level of yeah. hot, but in the in the Leica it's me- camp, um, um, it's, sometimes it's mental hot. The Leica <laughs> folks don't like it as much because it's one of the it's one of the Japanese. It's not the true Leica. So this is kind of the start of that era where Leica started just throwing their name around onto things. Was this a partnership with Panasonic? I, don't, I think this is before they started regularly partnering this, with them. I think this Mini Lux Zoom is rumored to be. But. I know I know it's Japanese made for sure. So mm-hmm. it has a lot of the the trimmings of some of the contacts. It's larger than some of the other point and shoots. So it's not made to be smaller. It's actually bigger than that Nikon Twenty Eight Ti that we've mm-hmm. had on and off over the years. But I find this one to be a little more usable. Except there are it's it's just this three button functionality. You know, there's a right. mo- um, and that three button functionality. So if you want to do exposure comp you have to press and hold ev for like three seconds and then you got to toggle through the stuff but the fact that it's there is cool it's um it's program or aperture priority so you can do full auto full program you can do you can force manual kind of manual focus and then uh, i use it as an aperture priority camera i'm pretty much always av on it but it's 
Uh, it's pretty neat. I'm not going to make the final judgment on it because I haven't developed the black and whites with it. Um, the color so far has been just pretty standard color, not too contrasty, not too flat. But I, I like it for... I've always liked 35 point and shoots, Leslie. You thought that... Um, you mentioned you thought maybe the edges were just a little soft. Well, that's not. That's actually not my words. That's Ken Rockwell's words. <laughs> ah, I know. Because that's the first thing that I noticed about that Yashica T4 was my edge sharpness, and I didn't even care that it was a gray day in Ohio. That edge sharpness blew me away. So I thought that was an inter- interesting statement from yeah, this you. This one has a little bit more of a fall off. Okay, here we go. Okay, specs on blah, 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 blah. Um, seven bladed aperture, so it's got some some bokeh to it, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Oh, the close focus is 0.7 meters, not 0.7 feet. So it is a not so good close focus. So one thing I, I'm holding this camera right now, mm-hmm. and one thing I I don't like where the shutter button is. You feel like you have to move your finger over way too far. So the the shutter placement is pushed to the middle, and that viewfinder is so centered. I, yeah. I get that it's over the lens, but yeah. it's very... Yeah, it's... And, and, of course, I'm left-eyed, so my nose is right yeah, it's my a, thumb. Yeah, it's a... You're left machine. Eyed? Yeah, yeah, I have to. I always have been, but... I'm glad wow. I love that. So max shutter speeds on this. It goes from one second. It does have a bulb mode, which can get up to 100 seconds. But it goes to a uh, only a max of a four hundredth of a second. So I think the the contacts and Yashica have it beat out in in that. What did, you, what did you say that minimum focus again was? Two uh, two point three feet. So point seven oh, 2. meters. 3. Two point three. Two point three feet. Okay. Yeah, feet. Is it empty. Empty right now. Oh why? Okay. Um, I, I just shot some. Twenty four, almost thirty. Ooh. ISO twenty five to ISO five thousand. Oh, oh. Um, but it's <laughs> it's pretty nice. It has a few flash options, so it has like a red eye reduction flash it Mm -hmm. has uh, a second curtain or a slow curtain shutter yep uh on there for flash it's it's pretty nice uh for somebody that doesn't want to pay contacts prices these are ballparking low end you can get a beater from a japanese ebayer for under 500 you can get a really a really nice one for eight nine hundred so Something with that that nice red sticker on it for for less than a thousand. That's pretty cool, and it it looks looks and feels similar to the contacts. So for now, we'll call it the poor man's contacts. There you go. Fun. Thank you, Matt. I'm glad you got to use that and bring it in. Now I don't have to hunt it down and finish up my trilogy of those three point and shoot like as I was because of the through, so. the inevitable uh, delay between when I talk about things and when they show up I don't think this is available at Midwest Photo anymore gotcha <laughs> probably because of me thank you Matt when we come back we're going to be talking about the Fred McMurray tech press camera <laughs> Fred McMurray <laughs> <laughs> Walt Disney home movies in Super 8 millimeter. yours to run over and over again in your own living room Here are a few. Animated classics. The wildly funny match of the century from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. With all the high quality of the original motion picture. All the fine entertainment that you've enjoyed in the theater. The one and only Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Walt Disney home movies in Super 8 are available in color or black and white, in silent or magnetic sound versions. Check the catalog for a great selection of titles. Then thread up. Walt Disney home movies, 
New fun for the entire family together. Hey, we're back. So, was this used on the set of My Three Sons? What's the story with this camera? It's the McMurdo. Oh. <laughs> Let me get it out of its... It's the McMurdo mystery. How did this come your way? Oh. I found it advertised on a Facebook group. Get out. And you saw it and... You... Someone posted a bunch, bunch of old cameras for sale. Yes. Uh, and she had no idea what they were. Cameras and equipment and stuff. And I messaged her and I said, I'm interested. She said, oh, well... You know, this is like a typical, less you'll know right where this has come from, and Matt. <laughs> Somebody looked at these a year or so ago, and they said it, they were worth $1,500. And I'm like, I don't see anything there worth anywhere near $1,500. You no, told her that? They give me $1,500. i am like, all right. Call him up. Have a nice day. That's right. Yep, he got ya. his number. Um, so then she, like literally six months later, last time I was here recording with yep. John a couple weeks ago, uh, as we were sitting here recording, I got a message from her on Facebook six months later, saying, are you still interested in these cameras? I still have them. And I said, well, I'm interested, but I'm interested for, like, a couple of hundred. Not 15 interested. No. I don't even know what you've got there, but I don't, you know. So she said, well, come by and take a look. So I stopped. She was she's in, she was in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Oh, get out. <laughs> she was, like, eight minutes from here. So after I left you guys, I drove over to her house, and we went through all these boxes that she had. Did she have any home movies? I didn't ask. <laughs> In the future, can you ask? Okay, thanks, Mark. It's weird. All right. She had this camera. She had um, another a baby press camera. If you know oh, yeah, about. sure, sure. Two and a quarter by three and a quarter. Yeah. You took the old pack, pack the film packs. Nobody makes anymore. They're useless. Does they it have a rollback? I, I personally own a rollback for it. Okay. So I can shoot. So it was worth it. But otherwise. And then I got some lighting and some other this and that. But but this was the, the gem um, of the collection. The gem. So what... What I have here is a McMurdo 4x5 okay. view camera. But when you go to look up, if you Google McMurdo <laughs> cameras, there's no such thing. Wow. If you go to the McEwens, mm -hmm. there's no such thing. Mm -hmm. That's if, a good sign. So, yeah, first of all, I'm like, ooh, good, rubbing my hands together. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I got something rare. Um, I, I then finally figured out that what this actually is is an MPP, uh, which is a, a pretty highly regarded British camera manufacturer. Um, really rock solid precision uh, large format cameras. Really good. So, I mean, I've got a Crown Graphic. As far as the, the precision of the gearing, everything feels so tight on it. It makes my Crown Graphic look like a frown graphic. Time to wake this show up. Yeah, just the precision of it is just, it feels really, really good to use. I, I read a couple of uh, like forum posts here and there over the years where people were using the word Lindhoff in the same paragraph as MPP. You know, they're they're pretty highly regarded. It's not a cheap camera. They're very very uncommon in the U.S. So if you check eBay, there's n there are none on the American eBay. There's none around anywhere. Um, they do sell. So, the, so what it is is it's called the MPP technical camera. Where does woman get it from? Uh, she, it was her grandfather's. Oh. And I later found out that he had come from Toronto, so he moved down from Canada, which would sort of explain how it got The British connection. Britain. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you can sort of trace it that way. But uh, yeah, these, these are going for five, six dollars $600 on eBay, mm -hmm. you know, again, depending on what lens you've got on it as always. But they're they're pretty good camera. So I'm now going to turn the floor over to Matt. All right, let me tell you what I like about this camera. <laughs> So Matt is the expert on this stuff. So I know that it's got lots of knobs and a lot of pieces move, but I don't know anything more about it. So, hey, Matt, 
what the heck is this? It's thing? got bits and bobs and nicks and knobs. Uh, this thing, no, this is. At first glance, I was like, this is an alien camera. It it has the best bits of a Graflex. So it has like this really neat little flip-up sports finder. Uh, it has the Graflex uh, viewfinder masks, which no, you cannot en- get any more at Midwest Photo. Stop emailing me about it. No, uh, there's an old photo.net forum post that says we have them. It's got a cold shoe. Um, it has, cold yeah, it's got the... Um, it's got the retractable rail. It has a drop-down bed. So it's like all the best bits of a Linhoff Technica 3 with a few innovations stolen from Graflex, and they're just kind of molded together. The rear standards, so where the spring back is, it has a really nice smooth rotation. That's Linhoff style. It's a little bit slimmer than a Linhoff one. It does have the four pins in the back that pull out and give you a little extra bellows extension and rear movements, which is cool. The front <laughs> movements are sweet. The, I think the movements on this are smoother than the Super Technicas, which were much more expensive cameras. Mm. Um, the only like the only thing I don't like about this camera is that it uses the old pointy Linhoff boards. So Linhoff uh, Technica cameras uh, prior to the Linhoff Technica three used pointy squared lens boards. Lens board, yeah. So that means nobody else is competing for them. They're actually easier to get than Graflex boards. So you won the lottery there, but they, the boards kind of suck. Like they don't go on anything else. So whatever you have on here just kind of stays on here. Um, the bed itself goes as far as some of the Linhoff uh, Technica cameras. So this thing has almost as much bellows as my 8x10 camera, which is just a ton of bellows. It's great. Another weird thing about this camera, because it's very Linhoff Technica style, and I was talking to uh, pre-show, I was telling Mark about this, the bellows are kind of a nightmare to change on these. It does have a Linhoff style bellows, but that allows it, coupled with this bed, this might be the widest angle... Um, st- uh, press style camera I've ever seen. So you can put just about as wide a lens as you can fit on there. You won't have any movements because it's a, it's an accordion bellows. It's not a bag bellows. But this is, this is sweet. And I mean, you're basically getting all the best bits of a Linhoff for a third the price. Yeah. Well, you did. You cleaned up. I love it. Sweet. It, I, it's beautiful. I love the. the <laughs> it feels solid. What What did you pay for it? Um. Well, I got this. I got the baby press. I got a bunch of lights, all kinds of stuff. I think I paid about two hundred for all of it. Okay. So I would say I paid about one hundred and fifty for this one. No, this is great. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. And it came in this beautiful case with about ten holders and rangefinders and all kinds of stuff. You'll pay double that if you nick the bellows. So it has it has a it has a, a working rangefinder. Uh, no, this no. one, mine had a rangefinder on it. Right. That has been. Taken off. removed and replaced with a cold shoe. I'm guessing okay. that's the cause of all the corrosion that was like hanging out <clears> in there. Was that from the rangefinder or a cell in there? There's a lot of blue. Oh, I hadn't even noticed. And how's the lens on that camera? The lens is pretty good. It's got a nice uh, single-coated uh, uh, packs. That's just a solid. That's a pretty long lens usually for this type of camera. So like your, your crown, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you know how that can't really focus super, super close? Uh, this one has the bellows that... Uh, we could do macro focus. So if we if we rack this all the way out, I can actually get a super super close up, just the edge of Mark's face and like the microphone, and fill the frame with that. So this can do the bellows can allow it to do some macro work. You probably could even put a uh, a straight four hundred, so not even a telephoto style lens on there. It has tons and tons of bellows. Bellows. Mark, why don't you leave it here and then tomorrow? 
It'll disappear. No, we'll put on a, <laughs> some, bring in some sticks tomorrow, and I'll load up some oh, sheets. Why don't we just shoot, yeah. shoot some like shoot? You know, close up Matt Marash. You know, close up Mike Rasso. Speaking of close up yourself. Speaking of sticks. They also. Well, it's got three tripod mounts. It's got three mounts. <laughs> Why is that? Which, so this is actually better than a Linhoff for having that. Suck on that, Linhoff. <laughs> it has a reinforced. It has a reinforced uh, hole right here. That's that's a steel plate, not just part of the bed. Because on the Linhoff ones, if you push it in too far, you can you can go through the bed. It's not flush, so you're either here or these two. But this makes it super super nice. For when you extend the bellows out, you have like an arca plate. Balancing. You can balance it on the the tripod. This is really important if you're using something like a ball head with your tripod. No, this is just a like a sweet camera. Um, everything on it feels awesome, and all the things that are normally super like that make that make the Linhoffs really att- like attractive, like that little Linhoff seal and like paper thin bellows and stuff. It doesn't have that, so this is probably going to last longer and do just as well for somebody that doesn't want the Linhoff prestige but McMurdo it should it, it needs to have like a yeah. it needs to have an eye patch i feel like McMurdo it needs oh. an eye patch on it yeah well there you go beautiful there's it really is it Matt in my review of the McMurdo MP3 sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, no, it does not really, look like it was used much does it this no. is my this is my preliminary review of it so now that you know now that i'm learning about it um i will get, i'm going to go shoot it some more i did i posted a thing on the uh Flickr MPP users group and someone trying to get some information and someone actually linked to me an information page but even the information page is on the Wayback Machine because the page doesn't even oh, exist Wayback anymore. Machine, yep. And it has information about all the various <clears throat> models. The, the one sort of interesting thing about this I, as, as the show's been going on I was doing some more research and I have a super low serial number on this and I think actually what I've got I think this is a Mark One. I. I think this is the original one. Uh, which apparently is pretty uncommon because they say serial numbers start at 1001 and continue to 2260. Um, what year do you think your camera is? 1949. Okay. Uh, it says uh, blah, blah, blah. It's the scarce model today and seldom seen. It was probably made at serial numbers below about 1200 and mine is serial number 1146. Mm-hmm. And that may also explain why mine is branded McMurdo and not MPP. It might be such an early model they hadn't quite right. nailed down how they were going to brand it yet. Right. Uh, so that's why my Mason McMurdo. So it's a bit of a mystery, but yeah, and I'm I can't wait to use it. So is there any reason why I would use my Crown Graphic over this? No, uh, I would actually say keep throw keep the Crown Graphic. In no, river. throw yeah. it out. But well, Rangefinder Crown Graphic. Oh, that's true. I do have my my laser Rangefinder on the Crown. Yeah, but this is like yeah. this is this could probably like survive you know nuclear blast. It's it's. All, all the parts that need to be on here are, are, are rock solid. The bellows are actually nicer than the regular Linhoff bellows. No, this is sweet. Yeah, cool. Terrific. Thanks. Well, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us on this uh, filmtastic exploration of enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> you can write to us at podcast at filmphotographyproject.com uh, Instagram Facebook uh, our own site filmphotographyproject.com if you go there you can your, your gateway to just about everything film photography the FPP online store and we'll be back in uh, two short weeks send us your zines oh yeah thinking about doing a zine, doing a zine. shoot us an email send us your zines 
Send us some treats. We we accept cookies, pastries, candy, chippy type things. Wide angle lenses for our Leica M2s. Wide angle lenses. Gummy bears. Gummy bears. We'll see you super soon. And I, if you could see as we're as we're closing the show, both Matt and Mark D are just like. Buzzing. They're buzzing over that camera. They're buzzing over that camera. Wow. They're like drooling on the camera. I accidentally slightly broke it, but it's fixed. Oh, okay. It's fixed now. Good. That's every Linhop ever. (laughs) (laughs) See that girl. Watch her buzz. Drone.